faithful instruments in the Lord's hands. All right, it's been a few weeks since we have been in our series on the Millennial Kingdom, and uh, we'll do an abbreviated uh, message tonight. I don't want to keep you too late tonight. I don't, well, Purdue played yesterday, so we don't have, uh, the, we don't have the Purdue conflict um, that we sometimes have on, uh, on uh, Sundays or Wednesdays, but I don't, I don't want to keep you too late tonight. But views of the millennium, views of the millennium. Uh, once again, all millennialism is the idea that there is no literal millennial reign of Christ, even though there are six times in the book of Revelation that it is specifically said that Christ will reign for a thousand years. The all millennialists will not take that literally. They will allegorize that, try to explain it away, and they say there is no literal millennial reign of Christ. So again, what do you do with Satan being in the bottomless pit for a thousand years? Anyway, there's so many things that uh, don't, um, go together with the all-millennial view in what the Bible teaches. And many of the all-millennialists will also uh, teach that uh, Israel and the church are the same, but post-millennialism is not as common, and the idea that the church age brings such greatness and goodness to the earth that the millennial reign will just begin because of the wonderful things that are happening. And I'm not saying that God can't send another revival. We've seen uh, great awakenings. We've seen revivals. It'd be wonderful if there were a national revival and that, that God would use us as instruments in that. We, we don't know if that will ever happen. It seems that the signs of the times are that the rapture could take place at any moment. We know that there's nothing else that needs to take place on God's prophetic calendar before the rapture. So we know the rapture is the next event on the prophetic calendar. But Postmillennialism is not a biblical explanation for the millennial reign of Christ. And yet there are some who still try to hold to it, thinking that the church will usher in the millennial kingdom and there will be a thousand years of greatness and goodness that somehow the church uh, brings into place and then Christ will come at the end of that. So there's a postmillennial coming of Christ. And again, that does not reconcile uh, well with the whole of Scripture in the book of Revelation. And then after that, after Christ comes, then there's resurrections and judgments. Again, the mountain peaks, we've talked about this before. Christ's first coming and second coming, prophets would often not completely understand and recognize the valley there, the church age. And Paul will talk about the mystery of the church in Ephesians. And, of course, uh, that is uh, fully understood now in the New Testament in our understanding of uh, the church age, the age of grace in which we live now. We've talked about the preparation for the millennial kingdom. Jesus returns to the earth. The Antichrist and his armies are defeated at the Battle of Armageddon. This is at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. The Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. We're assuming that they are slain at the battle of Armageddon and then cast into the lake of fire. Satan is then bound, literally bound, in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. This bottomless pit is an abyss of some kind. It's, in, it's a place of incarceration for Satan for literally 1,000 years. So it's, 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 it's almost like a, a, a jail cell before the final prison sentence 
in a sense, but he is bound there for a thousand years. And Christ then rules and reigns on the earth. There's a 75-day interval. Uh, 30 days appear to have something to do with the millennial temple. The other uh, days, the other 45 days, we don't know exactly uh, what all goes on in that, that 45 days, but we know that there is the, the establishing of the millennial kingdom and we as believers will rule and reign with Christ in our glorified bodies. So who is in the millennial kingdom? The participants in the millennial kingdom. Again, there are saved Jews and there are saved Gentiles. There are people who survived the tribulation, who have not received their glorified body, who enter into the millennial kingdom. And they will be saved people. There will not be any unsaved people who enter into the millennial kingdom. Now, the tribulation saints are those who have been martyred. They have received their glorified bodies, Old and New Testament saints. And we would talk about even ourselves at the resurrection, at the rapture, having received our glorified bodies, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the judgment seat of Christ having taken place, we return with Christ. So there are people living in the tribulation Saved individuals who enter the millennial kingdom, not having received their glorified bodies. And then there are those of us who have been saved, who have been resurrected, who have now received our glorified bodies. We've gone through the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've gone through the judgment seat of Christ. We've received our rewards and our crowns and cast them at Jesus' feet. And now we have returned with him, clothed in the white garments, washed by the blood of the Lamb. And then we have responsibilities in the millennial kingdom. Again, I don't fully comprehend and understand that. But Jesus told his apostles that they would have a a privilege in the millennial kingdom, in his kingdom, of reigning with him. We are also said to be uh, priests and kings with Christ in the millennial kingdom. So what that responsibility is, I don't fully understand. But we will be in charge of those people in various responsibilities, but it won't be with any kind of sin. It won't be with any kind of of the hardships that that we are used to today. And that'll be a wonderful thing to have celestial work, heavenly work, millennial kingdom work, and it not be with the toil and the agony of sin and a sin-cursed body and all the aches and the pains that come with it, we will have responsibility. Again, work was created by God before sin. So is there any surprise that after sin is vanquished and we receive our glorified body, I realize that there are, there's still the, the, the final judgment to come of the unsaved. I realize that. But isn't it a joy to think that there is going to be a day when we will work and it will be a It'll be a wonderful thing. It'll be an enjoyable thing. Now, we should enjoy our work now. I realize some jobs are harder to enjoy than others. Okay? Chandler's a cart engineer. Eric's a cart engineer and a bagging specialist at Payless. I realize that is not the the most glorious job, but even that can be done to the glory of God. I I don't know some of these jobs that, that people do. I know some of them are very mundane. I know there are factories there are various uh, shift works, and I've had some really 
mundane, boring, terrible jobs, paying my way through college and uh, various things. But all of that toil, the thorns and the thistles of work will be gone. And we will be serving under the direct leadership of Christ. There will be a theocracy once again. And there won't be a corrupt president and his administration, and there won't be a corrupt Supreme Court and a bunch of fallible men and women trying to eke out some policies in some sort of constitutional democratic republic. Now, I'll just tell you this right now, if I can go on a little bit of a rabbit trail. Okay, the Chinese spy balloon, this whole thing, you know, you know China, China's done a lot. They, they got this spy balloon to fly across the United States, and I don't know how much data was transmitted back to China. I don't know how much information they got out of this. I don't understand why we would allow something from China to violate our airspace. But you know what China's accomplished? They got a spy balloon to fly across our nation and for all the politicians, all the leadership in the United States to squabble and fight like a bunch of kindergartners on the playground fighting over a ball at recess. I can't help but think we're acting like a bunch of two-year-olds throwing temper tantrums and we didn't get our way. Sounds like we're going to defeat ourselves by all the infighting and politicking and backbiting and squabbling. It's like, it's like that twilight zone where the aliens show up on Maple Street and they sit up on the hillside and they cause all the lights and the electricity and all these various things to go wrong down on Maple Street and all the people on Maple Street start blaming each other and they fight and start killing each other. And the aliens are like, you know, we don't have to send in our... Our spaceships, they're going to kill themselves. All we got to do is turn off some of their electricity and some of their technologies and take away some of their comforts, and they'll, they'll kill themselves. We can just sit back and watch. And I can't help but think we are so pathetic that we are fighting like a bunch of little kids at recess instead of actually looking at what is the best thing for our country to prevent this from ever happening again or for things to be worse. Instead, we're pointing fingers at each other and yelling and screaming at each other. So China's already won in some ways, just by doing that. That's not going to be the case in the millennial kingdom. Christ is going to rule and reign with a rod of iron, and we're going to be in some way under his governorship, fulfilling his responsibilities, and it's going to be done in a perfect way. It's going to be done in a way that Christ is glorified and he is honored, and there is Heavenly work being done, and what we are doing right now, how we live right now, is affecting, will affect our service for the Lord in that day. Somehow, some way, there is going to be a way in which our responsibilities, faithful in the little things right now, God will allow us to be faithful in much in his kingdom. I know there's a practical application of that right now, but it also is for eternity. It's also for his millennial kingdom and for eternity. So let's continue. The perfection in the millennial kingdom. We looked at these already. Christ reigns as the perfect king with righteous rule, with peace, with harmony among man and animals, divine instruction, fruitfulness like we haven't seen since the Garden of Eden, greater health and lifespans, and there is the temple. There will be a central place 
once again, where Christ is worshipped. Now, we can worship him from all the corners of the earth, but there is a central place of worship once again. And again, I can't help but think, the tabernacle, the temple, we have the church age, we come and worship together at church. And I emphasize again, Hebrews 10, in verse 28, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Sounds like we need to be getting together a lot more as we see the day approaching, not a lot less. And it seems like a lot of churches are going the other direction. Well, let's get together a lot less because we have such busy lives. Well, we know the day is approaching, judgment is coming, we can see that things are getting worse, but let's not get together as much. Let's not exercise our giftedness as much. As a matter of fact, let's just give all the gift serving, all the serving of each other with our gifts, let's just give it to the, 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 the few that are hand chosen by the CEO pastor, and then that group can serve and use their gifts. Everybody else can just fill a seat somewhere. I get, a little, I get a little upset because pastors today, it seems like, are more CEOs and executive VPs than they are shepherds. And we've had seminaries producing pastors for years now, for decades, that are nothing more than executive CEOs. They know more about marketing and business than they know about preaching the word of God and shepherding God's people. And it, it frustrates me that the church today isn't ministering like it should be and God's people are not serving like they should and exercising their spiritual gifts like they should. We see the centrality of worship. We see it all throughout Scripture, even into the millennial kingdom and in, into glory, where God will tabernacle with men. Literally, Emmanuel, God with us in the, the literal physical sense of that. We talked a few weeks ago about promises fulfilled concerning Israel. There is so much that could be said. We just touched on a handful of these, and we looked at several of them in the scriptures. But regeneration, Israel, at the great tribulation, after the abomination of desolation, the blasphemy by the Antichrist and the false prophet in the temple, at the second half of the tribulation, Israel turns to Christ. They see Christ, they see Jesus as the Messiah, and there is a massive revival among the Jews. They turn to the Lord. And there is a holocaust of, of greater proportions during the Great Tribulation. Many of the Jews are, are, are martyred. And there is uh, some Jews that survive. But the Jews as a nation, as a whole, will turn to Christ in saving faith. There's the regathering of the Jews to the land, uh, I believe I have that slide. Um, maybe it's not here. There it is. They will be regathered to their land that God promised Abraham. And again, look at that map. Do they have very much of that right now? <laughs> I think only that little yellow portion is all they have right now. And they're fighting over the Settlements in the West Bank. Do we realize that the Palestinians could very well be absorbed by the Arab nations and that the Jews have Arabs that are citizens? Israel has Arabs that are citizens of Israel. The Palestinians are pawns 
in the hands of the politicians. The Palestinians could easily be absorbed by the Arab nations, but they don't want there to be the Palestinians accepted into the Arab nations. They want to use the Palestinians who got uprooted as political pawns, and they don't like the settlements in Israel. That land is Israel's. The West Bank belongs to Israel. The two-state solution is not a solution. And then you got Hezbollah and Hamas that are running the Gaza Strip and the Golan Heights. Can you imagine if we had a nation that was up on the higher ground pointing their missiles at us and every once in a while shooting rockets? And can you imagine if Mexico had a bunch of guns pointed at us and were running? Well, in some cases, the cartels are running into America and passing fentanyl and we have sex trafficking and human trafficking and drug trafficking coming across our border gun trafficking and on and on we could go there is some measure of that in a sense going on because of uh, the open border but the point is that can you imagine living in a place where the enemy is right there looking across the border with their guns pointed at us and building tunnels underneath and at one point they were finding tunnels that the terrorists had built underneath and we're bringing people up into the into Israel where you have nations surrounding you including Iran that don't believe that Israel should even exist can you imagine trying to make a peace treaty with some of those nations and some of those groups like some politicians try to say to do can you imagine making a peace treaty with these nations these terrorist groups these people who say well Israel shouldn't even exist I'm going to shake your hand and put my name on a piece of paper that says in the fine print, in the invisible ink, we don't believe you should exist. Really? That's ridiculous. No wonder Israel won't sign treaties with these people. God has protected the nation. I know that there are the majority of them that have rejected Christ, but they're still God's people. And they will get all the land that God has promised them. And they deserve a lot more of the land now than what they uh, are, are living on. We've talked about the new covenant, the land, the Davidic covenant, and then there will be renewed prosperity, and we even read about some of that from Isaiah 65 in our scripture reading. So we come down to the end of the millennial kingdom, and I know I'm, I'm really just kind of scratching the surface here, but as we get to the end of the millennial kingdom, we, we, we realize, as we read in Revelation 20, down in verse number 7, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison out of the abyss, out of that bottomless pit, that place of incarceration. And he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. We don't have time to talk about Gog and Magog right now. We'd have to go back to uh, Ezekiel 38, and we can maybe uh, take some time later to do that. But he will go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan is loosed at the end of the thousand years and deceives all who have not trusted Christ as their Savior during the millennium. Who is that? That's those who are born to the saved individuals who had not received their glorified bodies yet they entered into the millennial kingdom having survived the tribulation they're saved individuals 
their offspring. And we just read in Isaiah 65 that a child will, a hundred year old person will be considered a child. There will be a length of days, a long life. So there's going to be a lot of kids born in the millennial kingdom. And those children will have to trust Christ as their Savior, just like you and me have to do. Can you, can you imagine rebelling against Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom, who is on his throne, ruling perfectly with governors, kings and priests, reigning with him under his leadership, who are have received their glorified bodies who are in a state of perfection, sinless, uh, by the, obviously by being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But they're still, and Satan is bound. Okay, remember, don't, don't forget that Satan is bound in the bottomless pit during this time. So you, you, you have the flesh, though. You have the heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You have a perfect environment and yet there are still people who will reject Christ, who will grow up with saved parents with a perfect environment, and they'll still reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. Satan will, able, will be able to deceive from the four quarters of the earth, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. People born during the millennial kingdom will still have the sin nature and have to repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ for their salvation. What does that say about environments and circumstances? They don't save. The environment doesn't save. The good circumstances don't save. Only the word of God, Jesus Christ, only God saves. Salvation is of the Lord. So people today, they want to they blame, don't they? They want to blame their environment. Oh, it's the, it's the society that caused me to have all these problems, so I had to go out and murder. I had to go out and steal. I had to commit all these immoral acts because society is corrupt, society has been unjust, and therefore I couldn't help myself. What's the excuse going to be in a perfect environment? We know that, that those other excuses that I just mentioned, those are not legitimate excuses. They don't fly at the judgment seat. We have to make, each individual has to make the choice to receive or to reject Jesus Christ as one Savior. Good circumstances and environment don't guarantee right choices and good environments and good circumstances don't save. Now, for us as parents, it doesn't mean that we throw our children to the wolves. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we say, as I heard one parent, one dad tell me, well, nothing I can do. My daughter, is she's going to be what she wants to be. She's going to do what she wants to do. And there's really nothing I can do to stop it. And I just looked at him and I was like, what are you talking about? Ephesians 6, all the other scriptures that tell us about how we're to raise our children. We just throw our kids to the wolves and say, whatever happens, happens. Is that what we're called to do? No. But... Still, children, even in good homes where they're taught the truth, where they hear the gospel, where they go to church, even a Christian school, even maybe a Bible college, 
so many things that are placed in their life to point them to the truth, they still have to make that choice from their own heart, in their own mind, before the Lord. They still have to make that individual choice. They're still responsible for God for their choice. We, we nurture, we raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and none of us have done it or are doing it perfectly. We do everything we can to put the gospel in their lives, to bring them to church, to point them to Christ. We are responsible as parents to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're commanded to, that is our responsibility. And I know there is a proverb that says uh, something to the, to the effect of... Um, uh, they, they, won't depart, they won't depart from bring, bring a child up. Uh, I can't even remember. I can't even. I, I just drew a blank, and I don't have it in my notes. But you know what verse I'm referring to. That's a truism. It's not a guarantee that if we take them to church every Sunday, and we have them in a Christian school, and they go to Bible college, that they're going to turn out 100% perfectly right. It's not a guarantee. It's a truism and it's a command, it's the goal, it's the standard that we should strive for. We should make every effort as parents to pour into them the word of God so that they might receive the mercy of God and experience the grace of God in their lives and be saved and go on and serve the Lord. But they still ultimately are responsible for the Lord for their choices. And that's one lesson we receive out of the millennial kingdom. When Satan is loosed, and he deceives from the four corners of the earth, a multitude as large as the sand of the sea. Hard to believe that people would still reject Christ in that kind of environment. I've read a couple of books by John Douglas, an FBI profiler, and he has studied, interviewed, investigated serial killers and other serial criminals and I remember as an unsaved, here, here, he's, writing, he's writing as an unsaved man. And I'm taking this criminal justice class, and I'm reading this book for the book report, and I'm reading as John Douglas, basically, as an unsaved man, describes Romans 3. And he says, all of these killers, serial criminals, every single one of them are making and have made conscious choices to do these despicable acts. He's an unsaved man who has studied and has profiled for the FBI for decades, and he sees in some of the most wicked people, he sees the sin nature. He sees the depravity of man. He doesn't call it that, but I'm sitting there reading this and doing this book report, and I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, this is Romans 3. This is what God's Word described. And here's an FBI profiler Verifying what God has said is true about the human condition. So finally, as we just read in Romans 20, or excuse me, in Revelation 20, Satan and his army are defeated by the fiery judgment of God. As we just read there, that fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And Satan is cast into a lake of fire for all eternity. Praise God. Sin is vanquished. There is an end to sin. We'll close with, with these, and we'll come back, Lord willing, next week, and we'll, we'll maybe wrap up in the next couple of, of Sunday nights. Uh, we'll see uh, how far we get. But in the limited time that we have tonight, just uh, a few points uh, briefly here about the end of the world. 
After Satan deceives, after Satan deceives all remaining unbelievers at the end of the millennium, he and his followers are devoured by fire and cast into the lake of fire. And then we get to Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. And we have to remember the distinction between the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is for believers. That is what takes place during, while the tribulation is going on down here. We are at the judgment seat of Christ and in the marriage supper of the Lamb. The great white throne judgment is where the unsaved are judged. Notice in Revelation 20 and verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. According to their works. God is keeping an account. And I don't mean to say this with any kind of malice. This is said as one who has, by the mercy of God and the grace of God, been saved. But we read in the Gospels that it will be worse. It will be worse. I believe it's Bethsaida or Capernaum. It will be worse for those towns than Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Bethsaida, Capernaum had the very Son of God walk in their midst and they rejected him. And they will be judged according to their works. To have the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Savior, walk in their midst and reject Him, basically run Him out of town and say, get out of here. Their hell will be hotter than even Sodom and Gomorrah. I know that is hard for us to comprehend. But what does that say about the rejection of the truth? It is so important that we respond to the truth of the word of God. And I hate to say it. I say this with, 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 with a, a, a soberness. But a child who grows up in a Christian home and hears it every day, regularly, for 18, 20, 20 plus years of their life and rejects all of that light and all of that truth, all those proclamations of the gospel, I don't say this with any kind of malice or judgmental spirit at all because i only stand here by the grace of god but a person who goes through all of that and has been exposed to that much light and still rejects jesus christ there is a judgment a greater judgment for them than the inner city kid who never hears the gospel and grows up and becomes a gangster and gets murdered in the streets the judgment for the kid who grew up in the Christian home and heard the gospel regularly and rejected it, their judgment is going to be worse in hell than that kid who grew up and hardly, if ever, never heard the gospel and then got murdered in the streets at 17, 18, 19 years of age. Again, I don't say that with any kind of hatred or malice or with a condemning attitude. It's the reality of being judged according to their works, to the measure of the light that they have received. We'll stop there tonight. That's a sobering thought, but it also reminds us, doesn't it, 
of the responsibility we have to be sharing the gospel. The privilege that we have to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, to take the ministry of reconciliation so that our unsaved co-workers, our unsaved family members, our unsaved friends that we know, that we come across, that we give the gospel to them and pray and are burdened for them that they might get saved so that they will not stand at the great white throne judgment and be condemned because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. May we be faithful in giving the gospel to those that we meet, to those who God puts in our path. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these truths. We look forward, Lord, to the millennial kingdom, to the glories of heaven. Lord, there are some sobering thoughts in all of this regarding the measure of light that people receive. But Lord, may it burden us even more for the lost. To this year, the year 2023, may we see more people come to Christ as a result of our witness, as a result of our influence by the mercy and grace of God. Lord, may you give us opportunities with the gospel to see people saved, see see lives changed, that they will enter into heaven's glory and not face the great white throne judgment in their book, and their names not be found in the book of life. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Pray that you will guide and direct in our lives this week. May we be faithful and obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Marty is going to come and lead us in our closing song tonight. And I set that aside. That